0: Three, two, one, and we're back, Julie. Today, of course, is April the 21st, and we're going to start out today by reading a very nice uh, email message we got from a coaching client, yes. podcast listener, and a future EXP uh, Libertas member as well. Indeed. And we did not ask his permission to read this, so when you're reading this, Jules, make sure you do not read his last name. I will not. But his first name is Mike. And Mike, you did send this a little while ago, and I apologize that Julie and I did not um, thank you quick enough before and uh it you know your the title of your email was you really made an impression and your email made an impression on julie and i too we are just saving it for the perfect time to use it on the podcast which we have for reasons that listeners are about to understand. But before we get to the email from Mike, I remind all of you, it's not too late for you guys to uh, download and complete your 2021 real estate in life business plan. All you have to do is text 2021 to 47372, text 2021 to 47372. And when you do, we're gonna text you back a link. And with that link, you can download your real estate treasure map along with Think and Grow Rich for Real Estate, which is um, Napoleon Hill's public domain version of the book, Think and Grow Grow Rich. And we've had a lot of real estate content in there as well. Both of these books are free. And yes, I know um, (laughs) I had somebody, Julie, tell me that they bought a real estate treasure map on Amazon Mm -hmm. and um, wanted us to give them the money back because of the fact that we're giving it away for free. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Guys, I've been saying, Julian, I've been saying on this podcast for years, don't buy the book on Amazon. We'll just give it to you for free. Uh, So just go ahead and uh, download it. So text 2021 to 47372, text 2021 to 47372, and we'll text you back a link to uh, download both books. So, Mrs. Harris.
1: Yes, indeed. So let's get on to Mike's lovely email, which we greatly appreciate. Now, Mike lives in the northwestern corner of the country, we'll say, and he knows who he is. Uh, Mike writes, Hey Julie, this has been on my mind and I thought I would mention it. As you may or may not remember, I have not been an agent for even a full month, but have used your guys' material and already have two listings. That's so awesome. There was a clubhouse meeting a couple weeks ago where I mentioned this and Tim was talking with me about this and some of my next steps. At the end, he mentioned something that I have not forgotten and I really appreciated. He said he was proud of me. It's funny how something so simple and you would think maybe uncomfortable to say with grownups can have such an impact on someone. I came from a good background and family, and yet no one understands the work that I have to go through over the last month. I know you guys do, so the fact that he said that coming from your background really meant something to me. I thought it important to let you guys know that that, how that comment made an impact on me." And then Mike goes on to to say, one of my listings is going on to market next week, and I've got a few questions on open houses. What's the best time of day to have one? Should I do one on the first day it's listed? Should I do a neighborhood only before the full open house or invite everyone all at once? Should I only hold it for one or two hours? All great questions. And seriously, Mike, we really appreciate what you said here. And and absolutely, we're proud of you. I mean, brand, brand, brand new, licensed less than a month, two (laughs) listings. How many times on this podcast have we said you do not have to wait? You don't have to toil away, especially in today's market. With all those buyers and all the buyer drama and all the buyer stress, you can be just like Mike and take listings right out of the gates.
0: Do you remember in uh, the start of Lord of the Rings? when the the little habits were getting together trying to decide you know whether they had the guts to actually go into the fires of modor and throw in the ring and the whole thing right (laughs) Right. i mean that's basically what it's like when you're deciding to work with buyers in this market (laughs) you know you're going to walk around along the way you know what you're signing up for (laughs) you know miles and miles years and years of uh, trouble and turmoil where you're constantly getting attacked by all sorts of hobgoblins and whatever the other things are right constantly that's what working with buyers is and you don't have to basically suffer those indignities to learn how to be a Listing agent. You can be a listing agent the second the ink is dry on your license. You just have to basically, you know, know how to be a listing agent. And that's what we teach in our coaching program. You guys need to take this seriously because, frankly, the buyer agent business model. Look, it's going to come back when the market shifts, but right now it's effectively on life support. In Many markets you're seeing buyer agent commissions drop to less than a percent. In some cases, we're hearing the buyers agents aren't getting paid anything. So you need to be paid. Uh, you need to be very careful where you're going to put your best energies. And I know the go-to, um, you know, advice that most new agents get is, you know, start working with buyers. Well, we're here to tell you that yes, you're going to be working with buyers. It's an ancillary benefit occasionally when you choose to. Um, As a result of being a listing agent So absolutely positively put your best efforts towards being a listing agent and those of you who have been in production for a long time Been in the business for a long time and you're now finding that it does seem like the business is harder It does seem like you know, everything is harder. You're just experiencing lots of headwinds just trying to get a transaction together It's because you're working too much on the buyer side of the business That's why the buyer side of the business is getting harder. The listing side of the business is getting easier Once you learn how to get the listings Do you really think it takes any effort to get a listing sold in this marketplace? It doesn't. So the effort is always spent on the proactive lead generation, the pre qualifying, the presenting. Those three things are the really the only three skills that you really truly need to master in real estate. Everything else you can choose not to do or you can delegate. So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to go to how to monetize, not just sit open houses, and top three five reasons why, especially in a market like this, you should absolutely love open houses.
1: Yes, absolutely. And in fact, now more than ever, because there's such enthusiasm for real estate right now, now more than ever, this is a very legitimate, very predictable and duplicatable spoke in your lead generation wheel. So take this seriously. And Tim, you were talking about buyer's agents versus listing agents. I saw the funniest meme online this morning, and it was like, if you imagined first, like this beautiful Persian cat that's all fluffy and, you know, just looks happy and pretty. And that's the listing agent. And then next to it is you know how how especially long-haired cats look after they've been through the bathtub, <laughs> and so their hair's all screwed up. They look insane. They're hissing. Their teeth are out. They look like they've just been through the ringer. And that of course is a buyer's side. My
0: my favorite <laughs> one is the same idea, but it's uh, a beautiful Barbie With versus one, one that looks like it's been you know roasted over a fire. Pit.
1: I know her hair's all screwed up. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, basically it makes a make up a mess.
0: It's essentially showing the and the I remember the Barbie one was the, you know this is what a listing agent looks like and this is what a buyer's agent looks like. <laughs> (laughs) It is true though. Very
1: true. So take this spoke seriously and we're going to do the top five reasons to love open houses on today's podcast. This will be a multi-part series. So point one, yes, serious buyers do go through open houses. In fact, 20% of them are going to open houses so they can actually make a decision this weekend, be the agent to write the contract with them. Yes, they seem like buyers, but guess what? They're sellers in buyer's clothing. Here's a script. How many times have we said this? Which home in the area do you plan on selling? Memorize that, internalize it, utilize it. This should be one of your leading scripts in today's market, especially during open houses. Now,
0: here's the thing. July statistic of 20%. That's true um, in a you know, an overall grander market. But the reality of it is, is that if you're working in any, like, think of it this way, listeners, you have first-time buyers, you have a move-up house. And then sometimes, depending on the affluence and, you know, how much people like housing, you might have far more, you know, maybe three or four uh, subsequent move-ups for their primary residence. This doesn't account for vacation homes, and this doesn't account for rental properties. But generally speaking, traditionally, you have the first-time house, buyer house, you have the move-up house, you have the move-up after that house. And then if they're, again, if they're uh, affluent or if they're wanting to, you know, upwardly mobile types, types, then there might be another two or three moves up over that. Mm So depending on where you're holding this house open, if you're on one of the maybe beyond really the upper, if you're just holding a first time home buyer house open, don't be surprised if the people don't have anything to sell. If you're holding the move up house open, then you're looking at 20% of those people that walk in are gonna have houses to sell. But you go much beyond that, virtually everyone's gonna have a house to sell first. So you gotta think logically here. Now I'll tell you. Just as Julie was reading that point, what I'm sure most of you are thinking is you're in, you're going to stymie yourself or hold yourself back from holding houses that are up open that are more expensive than the house that you live in, mm-hmm. and you've got to be That's really true. really careful. One of the easiest mistakes that all of you make is gra- is believing that people that are in a similar price range as you are the only ones you can work with where the reality of it is is people are pretty much people <laughs> housing is pretty much housing and it doesn't matter if it's a really multi-million dollar house or a first-time home buyer house for the most part people say and feel and act the same exact ways now obviously the more sophisticated buyer or seller they're gonna have more sophisticated buyer and seller needs but you can learn on the job so don't hold yourself back and only hold houses open that are in a similar price range Comfort as you now go as far to the other side of the spectrum if you're in a market And I know there's not very many markets like this where you're living in a really expensive market and all you're used to selling is really expensive stuff. If that really expensive stuff isn't selling, you might actually want to go down to whatever the feeder neighborhood is for the neighborhood that you live or the neighborhood that you primarily sell in. Or that's maybe not selling very quick now because every na- generally speaking, one neighborhood feeds the other. You know, people will go from the Oakhurst subdivision as their first uh, as a first time homebuyer area, and they'll move up to Smithville, and then Smithville people generally speaking will move to three different locate or three different different communities, right? People generally speaking are going to stay within the same 25 mile radius of where they presently live. So just think logically here. If you're you know again, if you're if your mind is saying I can only hold houses open that are sort of like the mo- neighborhood I live in, and maybe you're in the one of the first three brackets. Do yourself a favor and move up the market if yeah. you have the opportunity to, because then you obviously have a higher sale price, but you also then are going to have a higher likelihood of having multiple transactions. And again, the opposite is true as yeah, well. That's
1: right. And you know, we'll talk about how to become more comfortable in maybe an uncomfortable neighborhood for you, right? So one of the things that you can do, and this is in our uh, how to monetize an open house, which we'll do in uh, either tomorrow or the next podcast, is to actually walk the neighborhood, do some previewing, know what the stats are. Is it hot or is it not? How many days in the market? What's actually pending? Uh, is it on the upward swing or not? Well, let's you know? talk about
0: what we did. I mean, when yeah. Julie and I sold real estate, we started selling um, it and we were selling in an area called Clintonville, Ohio. Where the average sale price now is, I'm guessing probably 250 or 350 thousand dollars. When we lived there, the average sale pr- well, the average sale price in our overall market when we sold real estate, this was the 90s, was like 220. Yep. Where we, what we are selling, the average sale price was and for our first year was probably like 110 120 right? So that's how much things Lots have doubled. first-time
1: buyer houses, little, right. little cracker boxes, you know. Mostly yeah.
0: first-time buyer houses. But then Julie and I quickly gravitated, because we figured out what we just told you is true, mm-hmm. to more expensive stuff. You can hold a first-time home buyer house open, you're going to get one sale. You hold a house open that's more expensive, you're going to get potentially multiple sales. But then Julie and I decided. well, you know what, we want to move completely upmarket. And one of the most expensive uh, desirable areas in uh, central Ohio at the time was this area called New Albany Country Club, which is probably still one of the most beautiful communities I've ever been to on planet Earth. So we wanted to live there, but we didn't know anybody there. We were completely and totally a fish out of water. Um, we didn't have any
1: geographically, so- economically, social
0: connections. Changed. We yeah. didn't go to the same schools. No. I mean, Julie and I are basically, you know, meat and potatoes people. And those people out there are caviar. They go to Paris in the summer kind of thing. Um, so what we did is we would start every single weekend for months, we would go out there and we'd walk the neighborhoods. We'd walk on the walking paths. We would get to know essentially what it felt like to be there. So we felt comfortable. And then we started hunting. Guess what? Expired. And then we started picking up inventory. And after not too long, we moved there. Um, so you know this these things are all possible for you guys even if you come from very very humble beginnings like Julie and I did you can ascend in real estate as fast as you choose to allow yourself because there really are no limitations Uh, once you know that once you have the skill set is this should be your big takeaway mentally right once you have the skill set to work with sellers you can move not only different places in your community in your city in your state but you can move to different parts of the country because the skill set that we teach you is transferable if you're buying leads and everything you're doing is basically predicated on passively generation, like direct mail. Let's say, for example, you move from that market, you're going to lose all the opportunities that may have eventually come from you know your passively generation efforts. You guys get the point here. So once you have the skill set, the skill set's transferable. Here I'll put it in a different way. If you were a, a doctor, let's say, you can p- you know pick whatever specialization it is. You don't have to stay in you know Columbus, Ohio, your whole life because that's spe- that specific profession and your specific uh, specialization could be needed. Anywhere. So if you want to live in Hawaii, you can basically say, you know what, I don't want to be a you know a, a dentist in Columbus, Ohio anymore. I'll just choose to be a dentist in Hawaii, and then you can get a job out there and work for an existing practice or start your own because your skill set is transferable. Your real estate skill set that most agents have been told to develop uh, is not transferable because you guys are not building businesses that are essentially uh, skills based. And this all goes back to the you know the thing I hope all of you carry with you because it's very profound you know, at least I think it is right at the end of the day, when you're building a castle, when you're building a mansion, when you're building, you know, that in the house and the mansion represent your business and your livelihood, don't do it on land that you don't own. So if you're building something that's going to be, you know, hopefully take care of you in the future and your foundation is basically social networking, marketing, buying leads and all that stuff, you don't control any of that. And at any one time you could just lose control of all of it. Not true. If you have the skill set
1: exactly so don't be intimidated by the more expensive stuff they want the same thing everyone else does so point number two it's a great place to meet guess who the nosy soon to list neighbors So don't just assume that everybody walking in your open house is just some random buyer walking in. They at the very least have a high likelihood of having something to sell, and they might actually be the very next door neighbors or across the street neighbors. Why do they do that? They're seeing what's the price of the house, what do you get for the money, what's the activity, what's this agent about, are they proactive, are they lazy sitting on the couch watching a football game while everybody wanders around the house? What's the deal?
0: We need to make sure that we didn't grow Your your 20% point here is, guys, this is something, this is sort of a site. That's different than what you were talking about. Oh, I understand. I understand. Okay. I understand. Yeah. But here, here's an important point that the people that are driving neighborhoods, when they're just strictly talking about buyers at this point, those are your best leads that you're ever going to get. The worst leads that you're ever going to get are in leads because those are the people that are basically are just getting ready to get started. They're sitting around, yeah. you know, watching football, open up their iPhone, hop on realtor.com or just looking for listings just for the sake of, you know, yeah. burning through commercials. Right. So that's what's going to happen when you're focusing on those types of leads. Why you would pay for those leads is beyond me. What, what happens then is the person's serious about uh, buying a home. They then focus in on neighborhoods like we were just talking about. And then what they start doing, especially in a market like this is they start driving the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. They start looking for signs. They start looking for, guess what? Open house signs. Your best leads are always going to be your best buyer leads. And again, depending on what your sale prices or the price of the house that you're holding open, your best potential seller leads are always going to be from doing direct face-to-face interaction with, you know, obviously through open houses, open, houses in a huge buyer's market aren't nearly as effective because there's too much for the buyers to even take in yeah. In a market like this open houses are gold. You could do an open house and we're going to go through the rest of these points in a second. And by the way, what's it called? For, so our coaching clients, what's the open house system we have on our coaching our, on premier? How
1: to, how to monetize an open
0: house. Okay. And so the, how to monetize an open house, a system is something that basically is a complete A to Z system and how yeah, they actually they even get, have coaching calls about it. Okay. Coaching good. Members. So that's for premier yes. coaching members. Okay. So if you guys want to uh, get the whole system, Uh, We're just going over the highlights, obviously, to get you motivated to at least consider doing some open houses. Yeah, but they do
1: kill it in this market. I mean, we've had coaching clients with over 200 people lined up out the door. I know. Who have had to really engineer how it's going to go, get an assistant at the door, make sure they've got a sign-in app. It's awesome. It is awesome. So point number three, it leads me to point number three. Build your future business through making maximum contacts in minimum time. I mean, what's the number one thing you guys complain about? I can't find a phone number. Well, this is maximum contacts in minimum time. It's efficient prospecting when you do it right. You'll be amazed at how much future business you're going to create by doing consistent, well-executed opens. So you remember we used to have people say, you know, of course, in our prequal script, we would always ask them, you know, how did you come across us or something like that? And they'd say, well, you were the only person that was nice to me in an open house I went to, you know, 90 days ago. They do remember. Some of them will pop immediately, but the other ones that you have treated professionally, you ask your good open house scripted questions, you follow up, you know, they're going to remember you for that.
0: One of the things you could do also is to gather information. There's all kinds of electronic ways to do it. But a simple, almost completely passive way to do it is have a good old fashioned fish bowl, and you're going to be and you're yeah. going to be doing some kind of raffle at the end of the open house, or maybe it's the end of you know something like that, and you're going to give something away of value, and it could it, it could be whatever you determine to be. Like you're going to draw you know ten people's names from the raffle you know, bowl, and each are going to get a Starbucks card, or you can do something like where you're going to give away something of value. But the point is is when they walk in, um, not everyone or very few people are going to have business cards, but you could have. Pre-written, like you know, simple. Maybe uh, cut a bunch of three-by-five cards in half. Have pins sitting there so they can write their names and their phone numbers down, and they just drop it in the raffle jar. Something like that. Again, I know there's electronic things that work as well, but that requires people actually doing more uh, touching of things, which they're going to be a little apprehension uh, apprehensive yeah. of. So if you give them an iPad, they're going to be weird about putting in their information. So the good old-fashioned raffle jar and a and a uh, you know piece of paper is going to be a great and way. And maybe for you to pens they
1: can keep. You could do that. Yeah, yeah. There you go.
0: How about pens they can keep with your. Brain? branding information, on. I just don't assume they're ever going to call you from your branding information, right. but it is something that's effective. All right. Go ahead, Julie. Yes.
1: All right. So point number four, the seller whose home you're holding open will love you when you do your open house the right way. Keep your sellers happy. They do expect open houses. And I this was from our editor, give up the fight and do them right. Um, so he, giving up the fight. OK, so agents will not want to do open houses sometimes. And that's a terrible conversation. I remember, you know, when we had lots of listings, we had to say, yes, of course we do them on a rotational basis so that one seller doesn't expect you to do it weekend after weekend. When you and I were
0: listing, when we were active <laughs> listing agents, so we'd had a minimum of like 20 listings and sometimes we had as many as like 60 listings. Yeah,
1: so you can't do all and, 20 every week. But what,
0: what we did do, and I don't know if it's in your notes, I mean, because it's worth you mentioning well, what you me. just, um, prospecting, nope, uh, the uh, Harris Ho- Tour of Homes.
1: Yes. No, that's not a So way. one of the
0: things, that if you have a lot of listings, which some of you are blessed to have a lot of listings, copy this idea. We call it Harris Tour of Homes. And what we would do is we had corrugated signs that were made, and they would essentially say, open house, You know, uh, let's say 11 a.m. till noon. And then we'd put that one in front of the first house. And then we'd have a whole bunch of directional signs that would... And, uh, that would be pointing to the next house that was holding open. So imagine, well, again, some of you have not been exposed to this because your communities, the builders haven't had to actually do this, but it was called like a tour of homes. And so what we do is we would lead them from one house we are holding open to the next one to the next one. So everyone would be open for an hour. And then you'd have essentially people that maybe you're holding four open on one day. Maybe this, you know, the people only wanted to see a third one, and the third one is open from one till two. Well, that's the only one they would go to. But the point being is that in these particular communities that we worked, there would be Harris Tour of Home signs open every, or up every weekend and they would be everywhere. If they weren't in front of the house actually saying what time that house was gonna be open, the directional signs were everywhere. This got to be such a profitable thing for us to do. that every, I mean, I'm telling you guys, when you drove through, it was New Albany where we did this a lot. When you drove through New Albany, you'd see our signs everywhere. Uh, it looked like every single listing for sale was our listing. We actually had a guy that would put all the directional signs out for us. He, he also worked for builders, putting builder signs out. So we just had him put our signs out as well. And that did work extremely well. But to Julie's earlier point, what it really did is it differentiated us in the marketplace in the eyes of prospective sellers. Sellers are always going to be wondering, what the heck are you doing? Why am I paying you all this commission? What is it you're doing to actually get my house sold in the shortest period of time with the least amount of hassle and most net to me, right? And so by saying, and they've already experienced or seen what efforts we are going for, uh, you know, putting forth for the open houses, that in itself often would earn us the listing.
1: Yeah. And in fact, some of our coaching clients have spun this up even more with food trucks that follow a great around. Idea. and you know ice cream trucks in the summer and they you know really take it to the next level and we'll be talking about more of that in our future uh parts of this so let's see uh, back to the, the conversation sellers do expect you to do open houses if you try and argue with them about that you're going to lose most of the time you might one out of ten sellers might be weird about it they have an extra level of privacy or whatever maybe some of them because of covid still but by and large, sellers expect this. Why is this? It's because they see it on HGTV, they see it on Bravo, they have the expectation, and because it's one of the only tangible things that they understand that you're actually doing.
0: Now here's the deal with this, and I looked at your notes, there's yeah. not in there as well. Julie did say every seller will expect one, but that doesn't necessarily mean every seller should get one. Because the fact is, for example, if the seller's living in the house and they have a lot of Clean up organizational issues if they have a lot of pets now here's the irony of what i'm saying in a normal market that wouldn't be a good house to hold open because it looked a little bit like a house party house right you know but in a house like this where most markets were essentially even a house that is under rough how do we yeah it's rough there you go that'll even sell with competing offers but just a couple caveats you got to be thinking through if the seller has Medication in their, um, you know, in their medicine cabinets and things like that. You've got to go through and tell the seller what to remove. And the best way to do it is if you're in a situation like that, walk around with the seller. It's
1: part of staging, really.
0: Yeah, it's part of staging, but walk around with the seller and make sure there's nothing that's easily palmable. It's not necessarily, um, you know, people uh, stealing. Well, the drugs they'd steal. That is a very common thing. But sometimes people come with their kids and you know people don't watch their kids and the you know, kids are going where? The other kids' bedroom that happen to live in the house. See what and
1: kind of toys they got.
0: <laughs> palming their toys, right? <laughs> so so you gotta think that. through these type types of things and not just you now the best scenario Is where it's an open house where the seller isn't there (laughs) you know as in the house is vacant those are obviously not something you can easily find in this market uh, oftentimes but just keep all these things in mind Have these types of conversations with the sellers again and it's gonna separate you from the pack because they're gonna see you're a true professional
1: absolutely so point number five open houses force you to be in front of people some of you guys are weird about that that's why in the back of the Harris Rules book we have the introverts guide to being a real estate rock star to help you with this Well, guess what? Open houses are a great place for you to practice conversations, to practice being more social than you possibly might be on your own. And again, to our previous point, to make maximum contacts in minimum time. This is a great way for you to do that. So remember this saying, more contact equals more contracts. If you're not talking to people, you're probably not writing very many offers or listing contracts. More contact equals more contracts.
0: And what is a contact? A contact is not uh, some passive lead generation thing or someone filled out a form. A contact is not if you send them a video and they watched it. A contact is a conversation with a decision-making adult primarily about selling a home, but technically about buying or selling real estate. That is what a contact is. The more of those you have, the more of everything else you're gonna have as a result. It's really that simple. And there are people everywhere that want to have those conversations with you. Um, Just stop hiding behind your screens because behind your screens are where you're not going to find real contacts. The people that are cleaning up in a market like this are doing it because they know every other agent is hiding behind their screens and not doing the real work of real estate, which is, you know, essentially being in front of people. You got to remember what I just said. You are, you know, being seduced into believing you don't have to do the real work of real estate. You will quickly fail out of this business. This business is absolutely ruthless for the agents right now that think they can build their business passively.
1: That's right. And I will never forget when you interviewed on our Superstar Series, uh, or one of the podcasts, Frederick Eklund, Mm -hmm. you know, Selling New York. Most people know him. If not, you can Google him. But um, And he said, when you asked, it was a question about, you know, talking about, you know, having real estate conversations and real contacts. He said, you know, Tim, anytime I walk out of my building, anybody I come across is thinking about real estate. They're thinking about buying. They're thinking about selling, thinking about leasing. They're thinking about investing. They have real estate on their mind, and it's my job to have that conversation with them. That is and the, I thought that was a really good lesson. It's,
0: it's a profound point, because if you, you you don't think about it like that, right? Mm-hmm. You think about, well, only people that are in the market of selling or buying are the people that are interested in real estate. That's completely not true, it's because real estate is the one thing. I mean, there are other things too, right? But they're one thing that everybody needs. You always need to live in something, unless, unfortunately, you might be homeless. There are very few other products that, that are like that. Now here, I want you to think about this. Real estate has the other added benefit of every property, for the most part, being unique. So there are other things that people all need. And we'll just pick one just to make everyone laugh. Let's say toilet paper. But the thing is, is that most t- toilet paper, it's fungible. You might have your preferred brand, but the reality of it is, is L all does Basically pretty much the same thing. Basically, all ends up in the same place. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Doesn't, doing the same thing. Yeah. But that's not true with real estate. Every house is different. Every condo is different. Every apartment is different. Every co-op is different. Everything is different. And so you are in a situation where you're selling something. You didn't realize how brilliant you were or are our listeners. You're selling something that every single person you'll ever know will always need. And you're selling something that is not easily fungible. It's not so it'll always require a salesperson because every property is different. And there are no other industries like that. There are no in any other business that you were to get into, you you would have to look for the customer, and that, because not everyone's going to need, say for example, Ginsu knives, or is going to need a you know a new you know Chevrolet, whatever. Not everyone's going to need what other people have to sell, but everybody needs. And I was always curious about real estate. That's the extraordinary thing. That's a beautiful thing. thing. It is. It's amazing. And and
1: you don't have to own the inventory. How cool
0: is that? Yeah. I I mean, Julie, what she just said, does that register with any of you? So if you wanted to open up a pie shop, let's say, and you wanted to open your, you know, Julie and Zoe's pie shop and they make great, you know, they have 20 different pies. They bake the heck out of pies. What do they have to do? Think of what they have to do money-wise just to get it out of the ground. Think about what they have to do just to get people to want to walk in the front door. Think about what they have to do just to keep the lights on. They have to create everything. And it doesn't matter if it's a franchise or not. You have to then essentially have this recurring massive expense just to support the idea that you're going to make some sort of minimal margin on the product which you're Which on
1: selling. top of that is perishable.
0: Exactly, right. <laughs> you know, like so, it's one thing after But whatever. in real estate, you can get a real estate license and you can go out and list other people's properties of which you will then make a margin on, you know, six, five, four, doesn't, whatever your percent is. And you have no recurring carrying costs like, say, Julian's pie shop, right? There is no recurring carrying cost for you to have your real estate business open if you're doing it the way we prescribe or we suggest for all of you to do it, where you're not paying for a bunch of silly ass stuff. When you do it our way, your recurring uh, expense is going to be- virtually nothing which is going to mean your profit margin from the commission checks you earn is going to be you know 90 percent, something like that 85 percent, depending on your your broker's commission splits speaking of which i would re- be remiss and not reminding all of you that yes of course julie and i are associated with exp realty and yes of course julie and i would love to talk with you about you joining our exp realty group and it's very simple and it's completely painless and it might be kind of fun well, i don't know about fun but
1: we try to make it fun
0: you think it's fun We'll find out. (laughs) Text me directly at 512-758-0206. Text me directly at 512-758-0206. All of you are looking or should be considering um, upgrading your real estate broker. It's a perfect time of year to do it. If you're new in the business, text me at 512-758-0206. If you've been in the industry for a long time and you're ready for a broker upgrade, you know EXP or better be on your radar. Text me at 512-758-0206. And of course, Julie and I would be... Would love to be your sponsors. So Julie, today is what is today? Wednesday. Yes. Right. So all of these guys, and we have, we're gonna pick up where we left off tomorrow, uh, where we left off today. Tomorrow on this theme, on this topic, mm-hmm. but all of them have a couple days, yep. maybe three. Set up your open houses. Set up open houses, and if you don't have listings. Uh, you can hold somebody else's house open with their permission. But do take this very, very seriously. Every single, listen to what Mike did. He had two listings right out of the gates. Hold the heck out of them. Open, you know, Work the heck out of them. Think logically about what you're going to hold open. And as you're thinking about what you're going to hold open, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an agent with your brokerage either, um, do consider uh, what you're going to hold open. I'm going to give you guys some higher level thinking here. I would suggest if you have the option to not hold condos open. Why? Because generally speaking, they're going to be a pain in the butt to get to. There's probably going to be a gate. There's probably going to be a passcode. And they're hard to
1: find the unit too. Right.
0: There's probably going to be a, you guys make it super simple for you to get people to easily say, yes, I want to go to that open house. The best ones are going to be in that. Remember I talked about the different, like five different tiers of housing A first time home buyer is great, but you're going to get a lot of home buyers. You're not going to get prospective sellers, except maybe the neighbors, truthfully, which will work fine. If that's what you want to do, if you can hold one of those open, do it. And, but ideally, you want to work it in that up, that move-up price range of the first level or the second level. But here are some rules, and we're going to get to these tomorrow. But just as you're thinking through this, as you're thinking about um, setting them w- up. what you're going to hold open, uh, don't hold anything. Uh, hold something open that's easy to get to that's not too buried back in a neighborhood. Don't hold something open that has something obviously objectionable about it power lines busy road don't make it so people you know follow your open house signs all of a sudden see the house and see an immediate reason not to want to go in keep
1: driving
0: keep driving that's what they'll do and you'll see them looking out the window and you'll be depressed about it so be strategic make sure when you actually do the open house and again we're going to be doing this tomorrow there's nothing else in the driveway including your car matter of fact park your car across the way so you're not blocking your open house sign think strategically about all this guys if you don't have open house signs Go borrow them from somebody. If your open house signs have been sitting in your garage collecting dust, go wash them, right? Yeah. I mean, take this seriously, guys. It's spring. But the house
1: matters. I mean, you bring up yeah, a good point sure. because a lot of these guys listening are like, yeah, I tried open houses. I did one, you know, whatever. And I didn't get anybody. It, it You will find by tomorrow's podcast and the following why that might be. It could. It, maybe it had nothing to do with you. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't have enough signs out. Maybe it was the house. I, I remember looking at stuff in different neighborhoods where it was like, You know 10 different signs up the side of a hill down a back road and and like literally you could not find the house yep i've seen other experiences where it was a windy day like today here in puerto rico and the agent did a killer job getting their signs out but they all blew over and nobody knows what direction to go so there are some very fine points that can make your open house really rock Versus Totally Flawed. And
0: we're going to get to all this finer points tomorrow. Um, But in the meantime, your job is to, A, uh, go buy Harris Rules or listen to it. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and every other bookstore you can imagine. And thanks, guys, for continuing to make Harris Rules a bestseller. Almost 500 five-star reviews on Amazon. Make sure you get... um, Harris Rules ASAP. And your other homework assignment obviously is going to be deciding which house or houses you're going to hold open this weekend. It is a cash cow simple opportunity cost you nothing but your time. If you guys need us for anything, please text me directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. In the meantime, have a fantastic day and we'll talk talk with you on the show tomorrow.